when George and Bethany go to the the National Mortuary Conference in New Orleans, they have to compete in these dueling and bombing demonstrations. And what? <laughs> Have you ever read a book before? Have you ever read a book about love? A book that is so captivating that you want to keep it at your bedside table and it involves funeral directors? Well, I might just have just the book for you. Today we have on Megan Montgomery. She just released today her newest novel called Undertaking Love. Megan, what's going on? How's it going today? It's going great. Thanks for having me on. My Congratulations day. on your new book. How exciting and what perfect timing that we have you on today of all days, releasing your next novel. Um, we want to hear all about kind of your career um, as a writer and, you know, how, how'd you get started? First of all, let's kind of go down the road of um, what got you interested in writing books that are about love and death in a combination of both. It's such an interesting concept and it's very unique and very applicable to all of us that love talking about dying and death and funeral directing. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I've always said that uh, romance and horror are sort of the two sides of the same coin. Um, they tell the best of humanity and the worst of humanity. And we get to see it all in those two genres. And I think sometimes the best love scenes are written as horror scenes and vice versa. Sometimes the best horror scenes are written as they're, as though they're love scenes. And I think they just go hand in hand, but I don't think death should be relegated to the horror genre. I think death should be, you know, the, the work of death care workers should be celebrated. And I'm a huge proponent of that. Um, and I, I can't, I, I always say I'm a huge fan of funeral directors because you guys are my heroes and oh, I don't think that can possibly be stated loudly enough. Oh. And I really wanted to showcase that in these books. Um, yeah. And I, I wanted to show that, that death care, I wanted to show the sympathetic side and um, the work of the day to day and not just the embalmings and like the gory, like cool page turning stuff, but uh, you know, the like changing the typewriter ribbons and like hounding the hospital for the death certs and all of the things that you have to like the admin tasks yeah, that have to be done when you're running a business. So uh, yeah, that was Kind of Part inspiration, of the inspiration, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, first of all, we appreciate all those kind words. That that's so thoughtful and very uh, great to hear someone from an outside perspective that appreciates the work we do. There are many, many people out there that do, but it's really uh, such such a nice thing to hear because sometimes you know funeral directors get a bad rap for one reason or the other sometimes, yeah. And it's just good to hear that there are people out there that just kind of love what, what we do because it is a hard job and oftentimes it goes underappreciated. So we appreciate all the kind words that you have to say and um, how cool that you kind of picked a genre that goes into two different aspects of life that are so different, but they're so intertwined at the same time. Um, that's, that's really cool. So how did you start writing in the first place and what, what has your career been as a writer? I moved 
to Illinois and I was a stay-at-home mom and uh, I needed something else to do. So I thought, you know what? I, I, I'm floundering. I, I'm either going to take prereqs to go to med school and become a forensic pathologist or I'm going to write a novel. And very different. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but when I write a novel, I write a novel and it takes a year of research first. And then, it, you know, the writing is a process. And so it's, it's sort of like, uh, like scratch that same itch. Um, yeah. And it just like, you know, I wasn't going to accru accrue the student loans that med school would. Yeah. I can just buy some books. <laughs> <laughs> so, so writing a novel one out. Um, and I've always sort of dabbled with writing. I wrote plays in college. Um, I was a history major and I love research. So anything I can do to research, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to take advantage of that. Sure. So I started writing, um, and I, I, I wrote a, uh, I wrote a historical fiction that took place in Maryland in the 1700s and it was very elaborate. It was going to turn into a series and no agents picked it up and that was fine. It was really like kind of like tone deaf, um, which I understand now, but I didn't at the time. It was sort of heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, and then, and then while I was writing it, I thought I want to write sort of an alternative story set in a modern time. And I wrote that as a rom-com. Um, so I, what was I, that called? That was called Well, That Was Awkward. Okay. Um, and it's still a it won literary awards and it did really well right off oh. the gate. Yeah. And I was really surprised. And I thought, okay, this is my calling. That's awesome. And, um, but then after the book came out, it's like, okay, you got to write the next one. And I had nothing left in, in me that was like light. That, that, uh, that could um, that that could be translated into you know like lighthearted rom commy banter. I just didn't have that in me anymore. It's like I expended it all with that one rom com, which is very heavily. It's very heavy on the comedy. Um, we and all then, love that. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's my husband's favorite book, and a lot of men love that book because it is very comedic. Sure, uh, sure. That's awesome. It's it's super cool that you were able to kind of do that despite, you know, you, having your challenges at the beginning on your first and then going at it again. It's just it's so amazing that you were able to kind of overcome that and, you know, win some awards. And that's that's so exciting and um, kind of led you to to now what you're doing. I'm assuming I know that you're kind of writing a trilogy in death related love series. So tell us about how that has gone and what's the concept for the trilogy and how does it relate to, to death and love in general? Yeah. Um, when I, when I finished writing, well, that was awkward. I, I thought like, I just want to write about, you know, goths. Like I want to write about <laughs> something like, I want to write about something darker and still make it a rom-com and, you yeah. know, it can be light and funny and showcase all like the, you know, the, the capers and the high drinks that were, you know, of people that work in death care, but I sure. want to feature people who work in death care. And then I started researching and I realized, hold on. Why, yeah. why, what is your fascination to begin with, 
about uh, death care in, in general. And that's it's so interesting that you have that that interest. I blame my grandmother, who is <laughs> <laughs> who is like long deceased. But I think she used to read me or recite me. She's from the greatest generation. Um, she had like she had her kids old. They had their kid kid old. Um, so I was raised by four grandparents who went through World War II. And yeah. my grandmother was a very morbid person. And it was before the time when it was allowed for people to be that way. Yeah. But she's <laughs> always, now that I look back on it, I had to write her eulogy. And I didn't know her very well. I, I felt like she was a very quiet woman. Um, and she sure. napped a lot. And I was like, what am I going <laughs> to say about her? <laughs> And then I started thinking about the things that she would tell me as a young girl. Like I remember she, with my aunt, she had thrown up the shades to wake her up one morning. And she said, ah, the melancholy days of November. <laughs> <laughs> and it's what? like, this is where I get my personality from. Sure, and I sure. didn't realize that until after until I was writing her eulogy, and like yeah. she used to recite me poems like the Highwaymen and um, other like pre pre Raphaelite artists, and uh, and I think and she used to visit old cemeteries every chance she got, oh. and I grew up going to battlefields and cemeteries and hearing these morbid poems. And it was just very quiet and in the background of my life. So that's where I think it started. And then I went to Salem, Massachusetts when I was 12. And I became obsessed. Like, I think every 12-year-old girl would would be. Um, you know, you visit the, you know, the Salem uh, Witch Trials Memorial. And you see, like, the, the bench that's set out for Giles Corey. And that was such a, like, a core memory. The witch capital of the world. Exactly. <laughs> Um, and I think that just like set this path in motion, um, sure. to my love of anything morbid. And I think my family, my family are all morbid now that I look back on it. Um, they, I don't know. They just really appreciate it. It's quiet. They're not, they're not like the cool, like goth listening to the cramps. Um, but <laughs> they're, they're very like Midwestern. They're Midwestern morbid. Yeah, like me. I'm wearing pink right now, and you wouldn't think I am. Yeah. <laughs> That's so um, cool. And so um, so you had that kind of upbringing that kind of led you down that road. What inspired, like, what was the actual inspiration for for writing this trilogy of novels? And tell us a little bit about the uh, stories without giving too much away, because we want everyone to read them, of course. Right. Um, well, I when I was in, uh, when I was in freshman year of English, we read behind the formaldehyde curtain, which is a, a takeaway or it's a small snippet of, uh, Jessica Mitford's the American way of death. Okay. And I know that is not seen in a good light in the funeral industry now. Um, but Honestly, at the time, I've never read it. What, 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 uh, it's just, what it's, it's very, it was written in the sixties. It's a very like negative connotation. Like funeral directors are all money grubbing, like, uh, uh 
capitalists. The negative, and the negative connotation that I was talking about earlier that some people see. Exactly, that. exactly. Sure. That's right. exactly what that was. But it also Got shed it. the light on the work that was done. Like she talked ah. about ICAPs and she talked about, and it was, it's done in the light that, oh, isn't this a hideous procedure? Like the, the mouth is, you know, stapled <laughs> shut and the eyes are, are, glued down and but I was fascinated sure. so I think that's what turned me on to a career in funeral directing and then um and then I went to uh, this was like the early 2000s we still had newspapers and yeah. I needed a part-time job I actually I saw that the funeral home across the street from me was hiring um you know an apprentice and I thought, yeah. I can do that. Like that, this job is made for me. Sure. And I don't think they took me seriously during my interview. And I, ah. I allowed, when I, when I told my mom and I told my college roommates, like, uh, yeah, I'm interviewing in a funeral home. They're like, you can't do that. Nobody does that. And so I allowed myself to be talked out of that whole career. And oh, I think God. now it's come full circle because yeah. I get to you know, still be a fangirl of the funeral directors. Right. And um, I've met so many funeral directors who have helped with this project. Um, Very cool. uh, but yeah, and that's what I think I've had this just like just deep seated love of careers in death work that um, uh, I, I just, I really wanted to honor that. And I think, you know, I can't say enough about the work that you do, not just funeral directors, but like all of the death professions. I think it's wonderful that you're willing to do these things that so many it's of us not, are not. Right. Um, it takes a special person. That's what I always say. It's not for everyone. It, it's it's a hard, hard job. But, um, you know, it's it's something that you you got to take pride in. And I think a lot of us or the majority of people that are funeral directors definitely do. So, yeah, um, we appreciate you kind of seeing seeing that side of things and i'm sure through your research you probably even thought that more so after after kind of diving into it more oh i have more to say on that yes <laughs> good, good um but i also Tell thought a little bit about the stories then too yeah. uh, and how how they kind of flow um so i write romance every every story that like is in my core is a is a romance um and i just i you know what i like, no, I'm the least romantic person anyone has ever met. Um, so it's sort of interesting that I, I identify so strongly with romance um, because I came into the genre late. Like a lot of people came up reading their grandmother's like Harlequin novels when they were 12. Um, and I did not. I found them when I was, you know, 35. But uh -huh. I, I haven't been able to read much of anything that's not romance since then. So I thought, you know, what a great way to give back to the funeral home or funeral community and the death care workers than to give them a love story that they can identify with and see themselves we all in. Know, yeah, we all know love begins with death. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and I just like, I feel like this is, this is a... A moment where you can sort of see yourselves in the work, hopefully, if I've done a good enough job. Right. Um, and I did a lot of research, and I had a lot of help from friends in the industry. And I made a lot of great friends in the industry um, through social media who have been willing to take a look at my really rough embalming scenes. 
and say, no, absolutely not. Cavity fluid does not go in the in the embalming machine never <laughs> <laughs> i always make jokes about that's like one of my favorite jokes is like uh putting cavity fluid in the embalming machine and like someone diving in and saying no please don't do that so that's <laughs> funny that uh you kind of get went down that road what are, what are the names of the books uh and what are what are the kind of what are they about yeah each of them specifically and i'm sure they're all kind of correlated if it's a, a trilogy so how, how is that looking like they are they're three best friends um women yeah. Uh, Sula is, uh, the forensic pathologist. She is, um, matter of factly, she is clinical. She is that like ultimate, like what you would think of as a doctor who performs autopsies for a living. She is that personality. And that's partly because that is, that's my personality. So I got to, you know, like pour myself out onto those pages. Um, and she uh, she takes her work very seriously. She's very she's in it for the public health. She's in it to like you know you can't see what it takes to kill humanity until that humanity is killed, and then you can backtrack from there. And right. the the clinical is sort of examined. Like so, I I use romance as the parameters. Um. You know, there has to be a happily ever after. That's not, that's not, that's not a spoiler because if okay. it's, it's not a romance if there's no happily ever after for the couple. Um, but I, I really like sticking to these parameters and using them, using the love story arc to explore a deeper theme. So Sula's theme was acceptance and the fact that, so she was raised, she's the daughter of a funeral, a funeral home family um she was raised in the big house and now she like her her mother doesn't has like sort of never forgiven her that she didn't take over the family business with her brother um Uh, and that she chose to go to medical school um they're they're a half greek family so the greekness sort of floats in i'm greek as well so that like i got to explore that sort of culture um and so Sula's story is all about accepting, being able to accept love for the first time. Um, and then there's a lot of, th- this is a spoilery book, so I can't say much more about Morgue to Love. Okay. But yeah, um, she meets a detective. They have a one night stand the next day <laughs> uh, because she's very, she approaches sex very clinically as well. She yeah, just I, in, I get it. Yeah. So she just it's a is very, exactly, <laughs> exactly. She does not have time to waste. She is a busy woman. <laughs> so uh, when she meets Waylon, who is celebrating his, like his first night on the for the force or as a detective. Um, and uh, he came from, uh, he, he sort of stepped down from being a DA in another county to oh. to coming back down to being a detective um, because he felt felt like that was better suited to his skill set. Um, but they meet. He's very sunshiny. He's the opposite of what you would think of as a homicide detective. But he's very sunshiny. He's very like optimistic and glass half full. And That's what they say about me as a funeral director. <laughs> I can see that you're very much a Waylon. um so they have this one-time thing he's thinking it's gonna be this grand love affair and she leaves 
This guy is me. <laughs> well, I hope you find your Sula. <laughs> Um, she, yeah, she, she ghosts him until the next morning when she is, (laughs) yep, when she is the autopsy doctor. So they meet again the next morning in the morgue and I I feel like I'm there right now. Like this is, I'm so captivated. (laughs) This is such a good story already. You're doing a great job. (laughs) Thank you. Um, yeah, verbal communication is not my strong suit. It usually takes me a hundred thousand words to get my story out. Well, you've been working on this for so long that it just kind of flows out of you, you know? I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, he he has a weak stomach for being a homicide detective. And he, like, he passes out and hits his head in the morgue. And she has to, you know, nurse him back to health. So. Oh, so. okay. <laughs> We're not going to go any further. Okay, what about the next one? Uh, Undertaking Love. That's so, what's coming out today. Yeah, so Sula's brother is George. George Smythe. He is yeah. the... Okay, so I started writing this thinking this is going to be a fun, um, you know, hijinks will ensue. This is going to be, you know, embalmings, like fun gore. Like, you know, it's going to be for the creepy creepy ghoul girls who love romance as well which i know that's a very niche audience (laughs) (laughs) um and then i read caleb wilde's confessions of a funeral director and it totally changed the trajectory of my story so and i realized that like because caleb wilde's book is all about approaching burnout and the compassion fatigue that goes along with the profession and, you know, the weight of taking all of other people's grief onto your shoulders and bearing that for, for other people that you don't even know and being invisible at the same time and how that would just weigh on you after years and years. It does. It does. Oop, that's a death call here. Hold on just a second. All right, I think the students got it. I'm sorry about that. You know, we've been seeing a lot more business come in ever since we started Mortuary Marketing. And I got to tell you, all the few homes we work with, are they're saying the same thing. So what do we do? We run ads on Google and other similar sites that get directed at families that need a funeral home in your area. It then brings them to a page that we've designed for you that gets the family to call you to inquire for your services. It's really increased our volume big time. It's working for my funeral home, and I think most parlors could really benefit from its uses. I put a bunch of information in the podcast description. Go check it out. I'm always happy to help talk with you and answer any questions you might have. All right, let's get back to our morbid discussion. Honestly, I feel like I kind of experienced that um, a couple years ago or so, and it kind of like shook me up for a good amount of time uh, and then sort of was able to break, break through it eventually and kind of found kind of my peace of mind um, in the new outlook. Um, I feel like not long ago. So uh, I definitely can relate to that. And it's, it's definitely a thing. And I think it's good to be aware of that for our funeral director listening, like to be aware that it is legitimately a thing and everyone talks about it. it's not just BS. Like, so you have to have that correct mindset um, and that framing that's going to help you to get through. And if you have to experience, you know, a hard, a hard period of time or a period of questioning, a lot of people do, 
um, as I'm sure that you found out from talking to a lot of funeral directors, they question what they're doing sometimes, but it seems like more often than not, they come back uh, to being a funeral director, to being in the industry. Um, I've seen that, I mean, talk to multiple guests where they've left and then they came back. So it's, it's, it's funny to see that. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty cool that you kind of hit on that and that's something that you related to. Well, I realized this, this man that I've created, George Smythe, he, I knew it was going to be, he was going to be grumpy. He was grumpy because he shows up from time to time in, in book one, um, because he's the neighbor, like he lives in the big funeral home. Sula lives in the coach house. Like she lives above the garage. Um, so he shows up and he's always grumpy. He's always overworked. Um, he's always the last to know everything that's going on in the family because he is just inundated with work. Um, and he has, he has worked himself to death. So I'm not saying this is every funeral director's. Oh, like uh point of view but yeah. yeah but george has never had a healthy relationship with his job um and and i yeah and after reading caleb's book i thought i there's no way this tone the tone of this book can be light and morgue to love is not light as well because it's about you know what does what does this woman who grew up around death and is still surrounded by death need to finally accept love that she's given um but this one it just grew even darker and there there are definitely light moments there's a ton of humor in in undertaking love it's it's more of a dramedy than anything else um and uh but yeah i can't i can't have um a male male or female um i can't have this character who's been in the and been in the business for 15 years with no self-care like he's not gonna last so what no. you just talked about is basically his story arc like he has to go away and then he does come back no kidding yeah okay yeah okay where where is our where is our love connection uh for book number two okay so bethany west <laughs> She's extra, extra (laughs) heroine. So she is, so she is, she's one of the, one of the women that started at the body farm and then realized she's really good at talking to families. Um, and maybe her, maybe her, she can shake things up in the funeral business. She's more like the Caitlin Dowdy type in that she wants to like greenify the world through no embalming chemicals and, um, and I, I don't portray that as, as like the way, like you see, both right. of them are very competent, um, right. funeral directors, but Either good nor bad. Right. exactly. Um, but I wanted them, I wanted them both to be competent at their job, but come at it from a, from two like opposing very perspectives. Different. Like George yeah. is very OG funeral. Like we're going to embalm everybody so that everybody yeah. gets a chance to say goodbye. She's yeah. very like, no, we need to save the planet and not embalm me, bomb people and like stop the cremations and the, you know, aquamation is not even legal in Tennessee yet. So uh-huh. this is yeah. an argument that they like have constantly. So it's very enemies to lovers. She, his dad sold that like 51% of the business to Bethany 
And George is real salty about that. And so she's taking over the business and she's being nice about it. She's trying to win him over because she has pined after him for a long time. Um, But he sees her as just this usurper who's going to like ruin his family business that he's had since, you know, 1870 something. Um, And she's a former playboy model oh so he also like he he there's never a point like i i really tried not to make him um disparage her former career because there's just no coming back from that in today's world you have to you know be sex positive and if he's ever going to be a hero that's worthy of her he can't be you know slut shaming her um and he doesn't so i'll give him credit for that but he good, takes good. it out on her work and her her ethics and uh, um so there's a lot of um there's a lot of banter there's a lot of you know scenes that take place while they're working together um there's a lot of scenes with her and her ghoul gang best friends um and then they go to the mortuary conference in New Orleans and they realize they have they're representing Smythe funeral home and together and they sort of have to be seen together they should be eating dinner together they should be getting along so that they can you know have a united front um and so they do they band together he realizes she's not that bad after all um and then don't spoil it. I can't spoil it. It's it gets <laughs> no. very spicy. So I will warn Good. I will warn I everyone that it is very spicy, but um but yeah. I'm looking forward. <laughs> it's that sounds great. It it's should it should prov- this is not they're not women's books. So if you're if you're a man and you're listening to this and you're interested in reading this, but you think romance is like girly. It's not like my husband and I have a romance podcast where we read romance together. And it is like helped our relationship so much. Men should be reading romance. Um, Well, I'm going to start with your book. How about that? (laughs) I would love that. I would love that. And hopefully you see, you know, you get a, you know, it gives you a little bit of joy because that's what romance is about. It's about bringing joy into your life. Yeah. And that's why I wanted, that's why it was so important to me to, to feature funeral directors in romance so that other funeral directors can read it and get a little bit of, you know, get a little bit whisked away in the story. Sure. I, I, I can relate to that so much because that's kind of a lot what we try to do with podcasts and our videos and stuff is just kind yeah. of bring a little bit of joy to the funeral industry and people working in death care because it is often unpleasant. So right. it's, it's fun to kind of mix it up and do stuff that's going to bring like a little happiness and a smile and a laugh because it is a challenging job to get to do that on a daily basis. So um, that's very exciting. Give us some details about um, kind of the research that went into uh, learning about funeral directors and what kind of scenes would interest us uh being mostly funeral directors that listen and what, what does that kind of sound like? We would love to hear from your perspective, like what kind of knowledge you gained and what you kind of thought going into it. And then kind of your mindset, mindset shifts 
over the time? I thought going into it, so my first book about uh, anything deathly was Jessica Mitford's book, um, The American Way of Death. And then Stiff, of course, um, by Mary Roach. And I, I really love Mary Roach's approach to writing and how, and I sort of, I feel like we're sort of similar in that there's a, a, a clinicalness to the writing, but there's, it's still respectful and there's humor, but it's always respectful. Um, and I think her, her writing really spoke to me. Um, but then there was like really nothing until Caitlin Dowdy. And then I read that. And so I thought, okay, well, Bethany's going to be, you know, the savior of the funeral home and George is going to be this like washed up old and, and sort of, then I started following, I, I got so much research out of just following people on Instagram and I like, yeah. <laughs> I watched every YouTube video Monica Torres put out. <laughs> and I watched that'll help right there yeah uh, yeah oh my gosh and and then oh and she actually inspired so when they're when George and Bethany go to the the National Mortuary Conference in New Orleans they have to compete in these dueling embalming demonstrations and what <laughs> So and she Tell us about it. So he's the what does expert. That even mean? <laughs> he's the expert. He is like the best. He's the Monica Torres of the hard cases. Okay. Um he okay. can he can like he can let a family view almost anything. She is you know, she's the green person like, you know, save save the body, like stop polluting groundwater and She's that uh, type of person. She wants anything that's new and flashy and unresearched. And, um, but they has to sort of swap. They swap as they're, he has to do a demonstration on greener chemicals that a very tried and true chemical company has like created a green line. And then, wow. and, and she has to do a presentation on like advanced decomposition and treating the hard cases. So they have to swap. And, and then I, but Monica Torres totally inspired the prize, which was, she inspired the whole idea because the prize is a silver trocar. And I know Monica <laughs> has the gold trocar. And I think Classic. so. Yeah. So she's in there. There's a lot of, um, I, there's a lot of, nods to her and I, and of course i have no idea what she's talking about i actually read the, an embalming textbook <laughs> as part of my oh, research dear. okay um and i i i'm an introvert and it's very hard for me to ask for help but i, I this was yeah. too important to get right to not ask for help so yeah, i reached out to a few um funeral like funeral director accounts um, and some of them reached out to me and I created, I, I've established friendships now with funeral directors who have helped me and they've read, read through this, uh, Savannah, the pink mortician actually. Yeah. I talked to her on the pod. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, she's great. So she actually, I was like, I, I have this case and you know, she has to do this seminar and it's, you know, crushing injuries with advanced decomp and, 
Like, is that even a thing that you do? Like, I don't know how to, how do you, would you go about that? And she's like, oh, I actually right. just had that case last week. Here's exactly what I did. That's hilarious. Um, so good timing. I know. I know. Yeah. Um, so she helped me out. Uh, my friend Rhiannon, um, she helped me out a lot. She's from Canada. Um, she, so she took a look. She, re she read through all my funeral directing scenes and she's like, mm, I don't think so. And then well, give, give us one or give us one or two like things that you had in there that she was like, uh, oh, you might want to edit that part because it's not necessarily correct. Well, so Bethany is phasing out the, the nude modeling and she now owns the company. She now owns the magazine. So she's, just, she's, she's sort of the billionaire in this situation. So she started out as sort of like a Playboy model and she's very famous for it. So people know her through her body. Okay. Um, yeah. And Rhiannon was like, can you do that and be a funeral director at the same time? Yeah, it's such a bizarre, right? Yeah. Um, so that was something. And um, I think the, I don't know, the index of the cavity fluid or something like that. Yeah. And then, um, and then my friend Louise, who owns his and Hearst Press, Hearst, like the Hearst. Um, uh. So she just took a look um, days before publication. She just took a look and I was able to go back in and change some things. She was the one that told me like, you know, you don't ever put cavity fluid in an embalming machine. <laughs> if you want it to be toast, that's what you do. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then there were some other things like I have this, this scene about a pre-need um, because they come across um, this is actually a deleted scene now because it didn't drive the plot forward. Ooh, special access on the pod deleted. Scenes. Yeah. So they go the the first in the first scene, they're driving toward to a home for a body pickup. Um, both of the characters, Bethany's driving the van and George is like writing obituaries in the, in the passenger seat. Um, and, and that he will do anything to just not speak to her in the beginning. Um, Boy. and she pokes and prods and she really loves like pushing his buttons. Um, so she's trying to have a conversation with him and he's just not having it, but they're on their way to pick up this body. And when they get there, the deleted scene, they get there and the body's completely blue and they're like, okay, this is not decomp. Like this is, this is really weird. What do we, what do we do? And, and he's blue because he drank too much. Like blue, 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 like, like Violet Beauregard from Charlie and the Chocolate Whoa. Factory. Like he's blue. Okay. Um, and so, and his eyes are blue, like the sclera and they, but he's fresh and they had a pre-need so they don't know what to do. And then the family is in the room with them. So they're trying not to be, you know, accusatory towards the family and being professional because they're here to provide loving care while picking up the body. But at the same like time, they don't know if they don't know right. if like, right, something has gone on. And it turns out he's blue because in the seventies, uh, he drank too much colloidal silver and it stained all of his tissues blue. And this is this is like factual. This has happened to people before. Um so yeah, so this is yeah, the blue the blue guy. But at the 
Well, I'll keep my eyes open. If I ever come across that, I'll let you know. <laughs> I think there have been a few cases here and there, but Tennessee seems to be the place that that would happen. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to have to think of what kind of concoction I would have to make up to, to change that color. <laughs> well, that's funny that you mentioned it because the scene super, that's still in the book, the scene that's yeah. still in the book is George like dying to turn him like a peach color again. Like you can see him, like he is just itching and his family, his family said, no, no, he's been blue since 1978. Like we, we only know him as that color, but he's just like, Uh, he's like, I I need to, I need to change him. I can fix it. Yes. um so and she catches bethany catches george like with that look in his eye and and she's like oh no you don't you're gonna you're gonna sneak down here and airbrush and peach in the middle of the night and um but there but there's a there's a whole talk about how like he had a pre-need and then she um she had a rigid, like Bethany had taken over and, and thought that she could go about it better. Like maybe he doesn't need that executive casket, maybe like just a shroud would work and his family went for it. And then he gets like frustrated. So I didn't realize that if you have a pre-need that that needs to legally be followed. Um, so I had to change things. So she had to, yeah. yeah. So that was really helpful that Louise helped me with. Um, yeah, that's nice. You had a lot of input from a lot of different people, like to help with all the scenes. That way, you, especially when people read it, you don't want to have people saying, "Oh, that's not correct" or whatever. Not that people would, but you just never know, you know, how people react, especially nowadays. Exactly, and I I tend to write all about a lot of obscure professions that are closed to the public for one reason or another, and it's very right. hard to research. It's because you know how can you just write a book about how to embalm somebody because somebody would use that and commit a crime. And I think a lot of things in death care, you know, some of the morbid people might like it, but the general public still doesn't. But yeah, also I needed to get help from other air from a lot of people because I can't be like, can you read this hundred thousand words in your spare time and tell me like, I have to, you know, piece it up like piecemeal and get help where I can. That's great. I mean, I mean, I'm glad you were able to do all that. And it sounds, I mean, I'm extremely captivated. It sounds very interesting. Um, and it's, I mean, do I have to read the first book? Do you think, no. or do you think I could die? Right. No, okay. it's definitely That's, a standalone. Uh, they're two, they're friends. And Sula is in the, it, Sula is in this book. Um, and there will be a book after it with one of the characters, one of the, you know, the secondary characters from undertaking love. She gets her own book next. Um, uh, so that's kind of how it all overlaps and intertwines a little bit. Yeah, but it's definitely can be read as a standalone. Great. Well, that's I'm definitely going to be doing this. So where can everyone go to, to get on this book? Where can we buy it? How can we support you? Because it sounds like you put in a ton of effort getting to know what we do. So we want to support you by reading this awesome book that's going to make us love what we do. Thank you so much. And, and I really it. hope that that's the case. I wrote this book is You'll see in the dedication. This is for funeral directors. Oh, thank um, you. Thank and in the acknowledgments. So um, uh, it will be on Amazon. You can pre-order it. Um, or if you want the paperback, you can wait until uh, the 25th, April 25th, um, Amazon. Yep. And it 
That's today. Today, yes. <laughs> we record. We re- we recorded this last week, so well, we are recording it right now, but it's coming out on the day that it's being released. So we try to make it seem like it is today, which it's it out is. today. <laughs> um. Okay, so we can get it, on it out Amazon. on Amazon. It's only on ebook on Amazon because it's available in Kindle Unlimited. Um. But it will be available in paperback anywhere. Anywhere you can go to order a copy of a book, they will order it for you. Yep. Sweet. That's so exciting. Well, we wish you nothing but the best. And hopefully you have a lot of people that get to read this and get to enjoy. I mean, to me, it sounds so interesting and so captivating. And it brings a, uh, a light to what we do, which we always love to hear. And uh, I'm just I'm just excited to read it and get my hands on it and Keep it next to my bedside, as I said, as we, as we hopped on. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. That means a well, lot. Well, we, we appreciate you and taking the time to talk to us. And um, hopefully everything goes great. And everything with writing your next book just goes just as well. And if you need any insight from any of our listeners or fans, just reach out to us. And I know a lot of us like to support people doing what you do and just supporting each other because that's what it's all about. So um, thank you for do, for doing all that. And um, we're going to we're going to get people out buying the book, reading the book and spreading the word. So thank you so much. Megan, for taking thank you. Time. I'm honored to be here. 